Hello. I'm seeing in Discord, I see Ciora TV, Sander, Misty, Louise, Jade, Harthook. And in Mixer, how is it going, Muffin Man, Karzy, um, Holly Rose, hello and welcome. Uh, 22 uh, Liberty, welcome. Shotzi, hello, hello, hello. Rachel, and uh, all you folks, I hope that you are doing fantastically well. Witch Hazel, how's it going? And I'm inviting the people in the YouTube chat right now. Sloth creature, hello and welcome. I'm inviting the uh, the YouTube premiere folks over right now as well. How is everyone doing? How has everyone's week been? Let me get into the proper channel in Discord. Hello, Rainy Rose. I hope everyone's having a good week. everyone's having a great week this has been a uh, uh an interesting one for me i am still trying to suss out um the uh the mic situation i'm working with my old one this is my blue snowball which is uh it works great you know it, it's certainly getting us uh it's keeping us moving along it's getting us where we need to be but it's not my my delicious blue yeti that my uh my very lovely girlfriend got for me um that one had a, a bit of a hardware issue, and I'm working on the, the warranty process, but I have yet to hear back from them on that, so I think I'm going to have to just initiate the process again. We'll see what we can do. I know there's a there's a delay. Tested stream, hello. Welcome to here. School is over, says Liberty. That's fun. <laughs> 22 says, missed last week live. It's all right. Welcome back. And uh, Karzy says, boring, still in stage 1.5. What was the the stage 1.5 of what? I'm wondering. School ends tomorrow for Courtney, it sounds like. <laughs> oh, the stay-at-home order, I see. I gotcha. All right. Well... We're all here, and I hope that we are all ready for some Harry Potter, because it's time. Um, Siori, hi, how's it going? Uh, we are... Oh, Denisha, finals week. Good luck to you. Um, we are doing chapters 16 and 17 this week of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. So my question is, what did we see last week? I have decided I'm going to, I have, I'm officially continuing to enlist y'all in, uh, in my review process so I can remember what all happened. What did we see in chapters, uh, 14 and 15? The chapter titles were chapter, hold on, let's see, uh, Felix Felicis and the Unbreakable Vow. What happened? Jade Dragon, indeed, one heck of a Quidditch match in our Felix Felicis chapter. We had um, 
uh, a very nervous Ron was not sure that he was going to be able to do anything on the the day of the big the first big Quidditch match the first Quidditch match of the the season it's against Slytherin Harry has got a lot riding on this one and well Ron is just simply not showing up um, he's there physically, just mentally. He's so distracted. He's so nervous all the time. Um, he's got a real confidence problem. And so Harry, on the day of the match, well, Hermione spots him slipping something into Ron's drink. After a little bit of uh, heavy hinting, uh, Ron susses out, oh, Harry decided to tip a little bit of that Felix Felicis potion into his drink, and so he's going to be lucky all day. Um, the match goes spectacularly well. Ron does quite well, and uh, Harry, dealing with some some additional problems, uh, uh, he, he notices that, uh, for instance, Malfoy is not present. Well, they win the match. Afterwards, uh, Harry breaks the big secret to Ron. There was no Felix Felicis in that cup. I've got all my Felix Felicis right here. All you had was a confidence problem. And uh, so Harry solves that little issue, but unfortunately, at the same time, Hermione, tested stream, thank you very much. Wyojax, hey, how's it going? Um, uh, and Muffin Man, that one happened as well. I'm going to have to get to that one in a second. Um, uh, tested stream, Hermione is jealous of Ron and Lavender, or certainly feeling uh, annoyed by a lot of this activity. Ron and Lavender Brown are constantly just tied all up together. Bev, welcome to Scooter Patrol. Everyone say hi to Bev. The uh, um, the animosity between Ron and Hermione is at an all-time high after this little Felix Felicis stunt because Hermione calls out Harry and Ron thinks, you know what, this this means that Hermione thinks I can't score, I can't uh, I can't save any goals without having a lucky potion on board. So they're in rough shape. Um, we also have the Unbreakable Vow. This is, um, let's see, uh, who said it? Muffin Man, Slughorn's Party. Uh, at Slughorn's Party, Harry finally, Slughorn gets him to one that, uh, Harry can't wiggle his way out of. Um, the, uh, the group has, um... Uh, a lot of people that Harry doesn't want to interact with, uh, none, uh, no, no, not least of which is Snape. And uh, so Snape is at the party. There's a vampire there somewhere named Sanguini. Uh, I made some, some, let's be honest, bottom shelf uh, Ratatouille jokes regarding that name. I just, I'm going to be honest with myself there. Um, but uh, we have. An interesting little detail, as Malfoy shows up, apparently uninvited, uh, Slughorn, a bit tipsy, seems to be okay inviting him into the party, but Snape has some suspicion about this, and um, takes Malfoy off to one side, where they have a brief discussion that Harry manages to sneak up and, well, eavesdrop upon. He learns that Snape wants to know what Malfoy's plan is, something about a plan, and uh, apparently Malfoy is not interested in having any of Snape's help. He believes that Snape wants the credit or something. But if nothing else, this is confirmation to Harry that Malfoy is up to something strange. 
Holly Rose, that is a good point. We cannot forget. Uh, Harry invites Luna as a friend to the party, and Luna is just ecstatic about this. And uh, even uh, even Ginny comments about how happy Luna is. Um, just, uh, I think she she says, "I've never been invited anywhere as a friend," which is hard to hear, but uh, a good reminder of people like Luna. Um, sometimes the qualities of uh, loyalty and um, uh, dedication, intelligence. Sometimes those things massively outpace someone's social aptitude. And those people are still incredibly valuable. So, I think that's roughly where we're at. Shall we continue on with our lovely adventure? Uh, by the way, I'm going to leave it up for a, a little while right now, but if you are on Mixer, you should be able to see the Mixplay panel that we are using for uh, Chat Plays Dungeon World. Now, what the heck is Chat Plays Dungeon World? The very brief version is... You can find it at the wiki. That's right. Uh, Sidecarstories.fandom.com. You can get caught up. Uh, There will be a little bit about the other projects, but right now it is primarily for um, being able to keep track of the whole world that we are creating together for the uh, Chat Plays Dungeon World. So if you like tabletop RPGs, if you're curious about Dungeons and Dragons, this is a perfect time to get involved. Um, I will put the link. Link is in chat there. Um, that is the uh, wiki. And so if you are interested in participating, that's a good place to get caught up. So you don't necessarily have to go back and watch all the old episodes. Um, it's got a lot about the world, a lot about the, the magical items that we've been creating for it. It's a good old time. So with all of that said, as usual, if you've got anything you would like to discuss, I would love to talk about it. Go ahead and put it in chat and we will uh, we'll get to it during a chatter break or um, possibly between chapters. Seth, welcome. How you doing? Let's get started. And uh, as usual, I want to thank Mr. Foos, who I don't think I've seen his name in here yet today. Mr. Foos, thank you very much for helping me to find all of the art that we are using for this stuff. All right. And Sayori's school started. Congrats and good luck. (laughs) Bye. All right. Chapter 16. A very frosty Christmas. So, Snape was offering to help him. He was definitely offering to help him. If you ask me one more time, said Harry, I'm going to stick you with this sprout. I was only checking, said Ron. They were standing alone at the burrow's kitchen sink, peeling a mountain of sprouts for Mrs. Weasley. Snow was drifting past the window in front of them. Yes, Snape was offering to help him, said Harry. He said that he'd promised Malfoy's mother to protect him, that he'd made an unbreakable oath or something. An an unbreakable vow, said Ron, looking stunned. No, he can't have. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure, said Harry. Why, what does that mean? Well, you can't break an unbreakable vow. I'd worked that out for myself, funnily enough. What happens if you break it then? You die, said Ron simply. Fred and George tried to get me to make one when I was about five. I nearly did too. I was holding hands with Fred and everything when Dad found us. He went mental, said Ron, with a reminiscent gleam in his eyes. It's the only time I've ever seen Dad as angry as Mum. 
Fred reckons his left buttock has never been the same since. Yeah, well, passing over Fred's left buttock. I beg your pardon, said Fred's voice as the twins entered the kitchen. Oh, George, look at this. They're using knives and everything. Bless them. I'll be 17 in two and a bit month's time, said Ryan grumpily. Then I'll be able to do it by magic. Mm, but in the meantime, said George, sitting down at the kitchen table and putting his feet upon it, we can enjoy watching you demonstrate the correct use of a whoopsie-daisy. You made me do that, said Ron angrily, sucking on his cut thumb. You wait when I'm seventeen. I'm sure you'll dazzle us all with hitherto unsuspected magical skills, yawned Ron. Speaking of hitherto unsuspected skills, Ronald, said George, what's this we hear from Ginny about you and a young lady called, unless our information is faulty, Lavender Brown? Ron turned a little pink, but did not look displeased as he turned back to the Sprouts. Mind your own business. What a snappy retort, said Fred. I really don't know how you think of them. Now, what we wanted to know was, how did it happen? What do you mean? Did she have an accident or something? What? Well, how did she sustain such extensive brain damage? Careful now! Mrs. Weasley entered the room just in time to see Ron throw the sprout knife at Fred, who had just turned it into a paper airplane with one lazy flick of his wand. Ron! She said furiously. Don't ever let me see you throwing knives again! I won't let you see, added Ron under his breath as he turned back to the Sprout Mountain. Fred, George, I'm sorry dears, but Remus is arriving tonight, so Bill will have to squeeze in with you two. No problem, said George. Then, as Charlie is it coming home, that just leaves Harry and Ron in the attic, and if Fleur shares with Ginny... That'll make Ginny's Christmas, muttered Fred. Everyone should be comfortable. Well, they'll have a bed anyway, said Mrs. Weasley, sounding slightly harassed. Percy definitely not showing his ugly face, then, asked Fred. Mrs. Weasley turned away before she answered. No, he's busy. At the Ministry, I expect. Oh, he's the world's biggest prat, said Fred as Mrs. Weasley left the kitchen. One of the two. Well, let's get going then, George. What are you two up to? said Ron. Can't you help us with these sprouts? You could just use your wand, then we'd be free too. No, I don't think we can do that, said Fred seriously. It's very character-building stuff, learning to peel sprouts without magic. Makes you appreciate how difficult it is for muggles and squibs. And if you want people to help you, Ron, added George, throwing the paper airplane at him, I wouldn't chuck knives at them. Just a little hint. We're off to the village. There's a very pretty girl working in the paper shop who thinks my card tricks are something marvellous. Almost like real magic. <sighs> Gits, said Ron darkly. Um, let's see. Watching Fred and George setting off across the snowy yard would have taken them ten seconds and we could have gone too. I couldn't, 
said Harry. I promised Dumbledore that I wouldn't wander off while I'm staying here. Oh, yeah, said Ron. He peeled a few more sprouts and then said, You're going to tell Dumbledore that you heard Snape and Malfoy talking to each other? Yes, said Harry. I'm going to tell anyone who can put a stop to it, and Dumbledore's at the top of that list. Might have another word with your dad, too. Pity you didn't hear what Malfoy's actually doing, though. I couldn't have done, could I? That's the whole point. He was refusing to tell Snape. There was silence for a moment or two, and then Ron said, Of course, you know what they'll all say. Dad and Dumbledore and all the rest of them. They'll say that Snape isn't really trying to help Malfoy. He's just trying to find out what Malfoy's up to. They didn't hear him, said Harry flatly. No one's that good an actor, not even Snape. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, though, said Ron. Harry turned to face him, frowning. You think I'm right, though? Yeah, I do, said Ron hastily. Seriously, I do, but they're all convinced that Snape's in the order, aren't they? Harry said nothing. It had already occurred to him that this would be the most likely objection to his new evidence. He could hear Hermione now. Obviously, Harry, he was pretending to offer help so he could trick Malfoy into telling him what he's doing. This was pure imagination, however, as he had no opportunity to tell Hermione what he had overheard. She had disappeared from Slughorn's party before he returned to it, or so he had been informed by an irate McCloggan, and she had already gone to bed by the time he had arrived to the common room. As he and Ron had left for the burrow early the next day, he had barely had time to wish her a happy Christmas and tell her that he had some very important news when they got back from the holidays. He was not entirely sure that she had heard him, though, Ron and Lavender had been saying a thoroughly non-verbal goodbye just behind him at the time. <laughs> Still, even Hermione would not be able to deny one thing. Malfoy was definitely up to something, and Snape knew it. So Harry felt fully justified in saying, I told you so, which he had already done several times to Ron already. We're only about five minutes in. We've just read the first little bit. Um, but we're at our first chatter break. Chapter break, chatter break. Hello, whatever it is. Um, 22 says Fred is so the dominant twin. <laughs> and uh, Leafy Toes. Welcome, by the way, Leafy Toes. I don't think I saw you at the beginning here. Uh, says, I wonder who's your inspiration for everyone's favorite wizarding family voices, particularly Ron, Fred, and George. They always remind you of the Beatles. Um, well, I sort of realized there was an intersection of... Um, uh, I just like my understanding. I don't. I do do not have like a deep well of knowledge about um, like in English dialectics, but um, I do know that that sort of Sheffield type. Um, there's there's like people from Liverpool. So like Scousers is a whole different thing now. Um, even though the Beatles are generally understood to be from Liverpool and they don't have a Scouse accent, but this sort of, it's its just a northern UK type of accent, and for anybody in the UK, I am so sorry, because I'm going to butcher some history here, I do apologize, but um, it just sort of like, that that sort of farther out in the country, that sort of thing felt right um, for the Weasleys, um, and as such, I decided to use it, especially because I could put so many different intonations into it, and kind of differentiate between family members. Um, Ginny was a challenge, though. I, in my own personal read-through, I didn't suss that. Like, I couldn't find the right voice for Ginny for, like, three books. <laughs> so, 
Um, I'm gonna let's see. Very first chatter break says tested stream. Welcome. I'm so glad. Uh, Ron just got caught throwing a knife at the twins. Indeed. Uh, yeah, not far in the chapter. Let's see. Um. All right, we've got everyone packed in here for Christmas. Um, not all the Weasleys. Uh, we're we're missing. We're short a. I think it was a Charlie who wasn't going to show up. Maybe Bill. Um, and then Percy will not be here. But uh, uh, what do we think is going through Percy's mind right now, uh, refusing to come to Christmas? You know, at this point, we already know that Harry is correct. Voldemort is back. That's no longer the argument. Where are we at with Percy right now? What's what's in Percy? What's going on through Percy's mind? Uh, and Seth says the Cain Chronicles should be on the list of possible books to read after this. Okay, I can edit the list. Uh, Shotzi says regret and embarrassment. Yeah, I think that is a. I think that's certainly a a good. I think that's a pretty good assessment. Um, embarrassment can be pretty powerful. I know even for me personally, like if I wait too long to respond to a text message, sometimes there's a, a tipping point at which I just think like, I'm embarrassed that I have failed so long to, to respond to this person. Like that is preventing me from responding now because I don't know what to say. Yeah, cue the pompous voice. <laughs> Look, I'm just a bit embarrassed and regretful. All right. I don't want to hear any more about it. Yeah, I'll continue to discuss. <laughs> Doggish Comb just says, he's just being a putz. And Muffin, says, Muffin Man says, fear of what will happen. That's another good one. And sorry, folks, I forgot to do the, the switch back between the scenes. I'll try to remember that for the future. Harry did not get a chance to speak to Mr. Weasley, who was working very long hours at the ministry until Christmas Eve night. The Weasleys and their guests were sitting in the living room, which Ginny had decorated so lavishly it was rather like sitting in a paper chain explosion. Fred, George, Harry, and Ron were the only ones who knew that the angel on top of the tree was actually a garden gnome that had bitten Fred in the ankle as he pulled up carrots for Christmas dinner. Stupefied, painted gold, stuffed into a miniature tutu with small wings glued to its back, it glowered down at them all, the ugliest angel Harry had ever seen, with a large bald head like a potato and rather hairy feet. I kind of said potato there, didn't I? That's not it. Also, what are you doing pulling carrots in the middle of winter? Did I just find a did I just find a, a massive plot hole? Unreadable. It's magic, it's okay. <laughs> Carzy says it's magic, okay? <laughs> yeah, that is a good word, putts. Well done, doggish. Alright. They were supposed to be listening to a Christmas broadcast by Mrs. Weasley's favorite singer, Celestina Warbeck, whose voice was warbling out of all oops, out of the large wooden wireless set. Fleur, who seemed to find Celestina very dull, was talking so loudly in the corner that a scowling Mrs. Weasley kept pointing her wand at the volume control so that Celestina grew louder and louder. Under the cover of a particularly jazzy number called A Cauldron Full of Hot Strong Love, Fred and George started a game of exploding snap with Ginny. Ron kept shooting Bill and Fleur covert looks as though hoping to pick up tips. Meanwhile, Remus Lupin, who was thinner and more ragged-looking than ever, was sitting beside the fire, staring into its depths as though he could not hear Celestina's voice. 
Oh, come and stir my cauldron. And if you do it right, <laughs> I'll boil up some hot strong love and keep you warm tonight. You can tell why nobody would want to listen to Celestina Warbuck. Oh, we danced to this when we were 18, said Mrs. Weasley, wiping her eyes on her knitting. Do you remember, Arthur? Oh, said Mr. Weasley, whose head had been nodding over the satsuma he was peeling. Oh, yes. Marvelous tune. With an effort, he sat up a little straighter and looked at Harry, who was sitting next to him. I'm <laughs> just watching chat explode on the other side. <laughs> uh, thank you, folks. I appreciate it. Um, I'll do a I'll do a great little. I, I'm telling y'all, I can do a fantastic uh, jazz trumpet solo uh, on a vuvuzela. Sorry about this," said Mr. Weasley, jerking his head toward the wireless as Celestina broke into the chorus. "Be over soon." Maybe at the end you can get an encore. I, I'm glad y'all like it. No problem, said Harry, grinning. Has it been busy at the ministry? Very, said Mr. Weasley. But I wouldn't mind if we weren't getting it. I wouldn't mind it if we were getting anywhere, but the three arrests that we've made in the last couple of months, I doubt that one of them is a genuine death eater. Only don't repeat that, Harry. He added quickly, looking much more awake all of a sudden. They're not still holding Stan Shunpike, are they? said Harry. I'm afraid so, said Mr. Weasley. I know Dumbledore's tried appealing directly to Scrimgeour about Stan. I mean, anyone who's actually interviewed him agrees that he's got about as much death eater in him as this Satsuma. But the top levels want to look as though they're making progress, and three arrests sounds better than... Three mistaken arrests and releases, but again, this is all top secret. I won't say anything, said Harry. He hesitated for a moment, wondering how best to embark on what he wanted to say. As he marshaled his thoughts, Celestina Warbeck began a ballad called You Charmed the Heart Right Out of Me. Mr. Weasley, you know what I told you at the station when we were getting set off to school? I checked, Harry said Mr. Weasley at once. I went and searched the Malfoy's house. There was nothing, either broken or whole, that shouldn't have been there. Yeah, I know, I saw in the Daily Prophet that you'd looked. But this is something different. Well, something more. And he told Mr. Weasley everything that he had overheard between Malfoy and Snape. As Harry spoke, he saw Lupin's head turn a little toward him, taking in every word. When he had finished, there was silence, except for Celestina's crooning. Where's it gone? It left me for a spell. Has it occurred to you, Harry? said Mr. Weasley. That Snape was simply pretending pretending to offer help so that he could find out what Malfoy's up to, said Harry quickly. Yeah, I, I thought that you would say that, but how do we know? It isn't our business to know, said Lupin unexpectedly. He had turned his back on the fire now, and Harry faced and faced Harry across Mr. Weasley. <laughs> Thank you all so very much. Hey, Philly CR, welcome to Scooter Patrol. 
It's Dumbledore's business. Dumbledore trusts Severus, and that ought to be good enough for all of us. But, said Harry, just say, just say Dumbledore's wrong about Snape. People have said it. Many times it comes down to whether or not you trust Dumbledore's judgment. I do, therefore I trust Severus. And tested stream, welcome to Scooter Patrol. And hey, 22, thanks for the host, I appreciate it. But Dumbledore can make mistakes, argued Harry. He says it himself, and you... He looked Lupin straight in the eye. Do you honestly like Snape? I neither like nor dislike Severus, said Lupin. No, Harry, I'm speaking the truth, he added, as Harry pulled a skeptical expression. We shall never be bosom friends, perhaps. After all that happened between James and Sirius and Severus, there's too much bitterness there. But I do not forget that during the year that I taught at Hogwarts, Severus made the Wolfsbane potion for me every month. Made it perfectly, so that I did not have to suffer as I usually do at the full moon. But he accidentally let it slip that you're a werewolf, so you had to leave, said Harry angrily. Lupin shrugged. The news would have got out anyway. We both knew he wanted my job, but he could have wreaked much worse damage on me by tampering with the potion. He kept me healthy. I must be grateful. Maybe he didn't dare mess up with the potion with Dumbledore watching him, said Harry. You are determined to hate him, Harry, said Lupin with a faint smile. And I understand. With James as your father and Sirius as your godfather, you have inherited an old prejudice. By all means, tell Dumbledore what you have told Arthur and me, but do not expect him to share your view of the matter. Do not even expect him to be surprised by what you tell him. It might have been on Dumbledore's orders that Severus questioned Draco. And now we have torn it quite apart. I'll thank you to give me back my heart. Celestina entered her song with a very long, high-pitched note and loud applause issued out of the wireless, to which Mrs. Weasley joined in enthusiastically. Is it over? said Fleur loudly. Thank goodness, what an horrible... Shall we have a nightcap, then? asked Mr. Weasley loudly, leaping to his feet. Who wants an agnog? Oh, what have you been up to lately? Harry asked Lupin as Mr. Weasley bustled off to fetch the eggnog and everybody else stretched out and broke into conversation. <laughs> Thank you, Shotzi. I appreciate it. Oh, boy. Hey, I love all the love I'm getting. Thank you all so very much. And I believe I've got one Weasley too many up on this one. Unfortunately, I didn't crop it as quite as far as I needed to, but I'm sure you get the picture. Ah, uh, get it? Get the picture? Ah, ah, ah! Oh, I've been underground, said Lupin, almost literally. That's why I have not been able to write, Harry. Sending letters to you would have been something of a giveaway. What do you mean? I've been living among my fellows. My equals, said Lupin. Werewolves, he added, at Harry's look of incomprehension. Nearly all of them are on Voldemort's side. 
Dumbledore wanted a spy, and here I was, ready-made. He sounded a little bitter and perhaps realized it, for he smiled more warmly as he went on. I'm not complaining. It was necessary work, and who better to do it than I? However, it has been difficult gaining their trust. I, I bear the unmistakable signs of having tried to live among wizards, you see, whereas they have shunned normal society and live in the margins, stealing and sometimes killing to eat. How come they like Voldemort? They think that under his rule they will have a better life, said Lupin, and it is hard to argue with Greyback out there. Greyback? Who's Greyback? You haven't heard of him? Lupin's hands closed convulsively in his lap. Fenrir Greyback is perhaps the most savage werewolf alive today. He regards it as his mission in life to bite and to contaminate as many people as possible. He wants to create enough werewolves to overcome the wizards. Voldemort has promised him prey in return for his services. Greyback specializes in children. Bite them young, he says, and raise them away from their parents, raise them to hate normal wizards. Voldemort has threatened to unleash him upon people's sons and daughters. It is a threat that usually produces good results. He's looping loud enough for y'all, by the way. I don't want to be mumbling into this mic if y'all can't hear him. I just like soft-spoken Lupin. Lupin paused and then said, It was Greyback who bit me. What? said Harry, astonished. When... When you were a kid, you mean? Yes. My father had offended him. I did not know for a very long time the identity of the werewolf who attacked me. I even felt pity for him, thinking that he had no control, knowing by then how it felt to transform. But Greyback is not like that. At the full moon, he positions himself close to victims, ensuring that he is near enough to strike. He plans it all. And this is the man Voldemort is using to marshal the werewolves. I cannot pretend that my particular brand of reasoned argument is making much headway against Greyback's insistence that no werewolves, excuse me, that werewolves deserve blood and that we ought to revenge ourselves upon normal people. But you are normal, said Harry fiercely. You've just got a, a problem. Lupin burst out laughing. <laughs> Sometimes you remind me a lot of James. He, he called it my furry little problem in company. Many people were under the impression that I owned a badly behaved rabbit. <laughs> he accepted a glass of eggnog from Mr. Weasley with a word of thanks, looking slightly more cheerful. If there were one thing I could really work on more often, I would love to work on laughing in character. Because that's something, like, it, it typically sort of ends up in the same place. I just, I wish I could work on that a bit more. Anyway. Lupin accepted a glass of eggnog from Mr. Weasley with a word of thanks, looking slightly more cheerful. Harry, meanwhile, felt a rush of excitement. This last mention of his father had reminded him that there was something he had been looking forward to asking Lupin. 
Have you ever heard of someone called the Half-Blood Prince? Half-Blood what? Prince, said Harry, watching him closely for signs of recognition. (laughs) There are no wizarding princes, said Lupin, now smiling. Is this a title that you're thinking of adopting? I should have thought that the chosen one would be enough. It's got nothing to do with me, said Harry indignantly. The Half-Blood Prince is someone who used to go to Hogwarts. I've got his old potions book. He wrote spells all over it, spells that he had invented. One of them was Levacorpus. Oh, that one had a great vogue during my time at Hogwarts, said Lupin reminiscently. There were a few months in my fifth year when you couldn't move for being hoisted into the air by your ankle. My dad used it, said Harry. I saw it in the pensive. He used it on Snape. He tried to sound casual, as though this was a throwaway comment of no real importance, but he was not sure he had achieved the right effect. Lupin's smile was a little too understanding. Yes, he said, but he wasn't the only one. As I say, it was very popular. You know how these spells come and go. Yes, but it it, san- it sounds like it was invented while you were at school, Harry persisted. Uh, not necessarily, said Lupin. Jinxes go in and out of fashion like everything else. He looked into Harry's face and then said quietly, James was a pureblood, Harry, I can promise you that. He never asked us to call him Prince. Oh, excuse me. Hey, Jack Twelve, welcome to Scooter Patrol. James was a pureblood, Harry, and I promise you, he never asked us to call him Prince. Abandoning pretense, Harry said, And it wasn't serious, or you. Definitely not. Oh. Harry stared into the fire. I just thought... Well, he's helped me out in potions classes. The prince has. How old is this book, Harry? I don't know. I've never checked. Well, perhaps that will give you some clue as to when the prince was at Hogwarts, said Lupin. Shortly after this, Fleur decided to imitate Celestina singing A Cauldron Full of Hot Strong Love, which was taken by everyone, once they had glimpsed Mrs. Weasley's expression, to be the cue to go to bed. Harry and Ron climbed all the way up to Ron's attic bedroom where a camp bed had been added for Harry. Ron fell asleep almost immediately, but Harry delved into his trunk and pulled out his copy of advanced potion making before getting into bed. There he turned its pages searching, until he finally found, at the front of the book, the date that it had been published. It was nearly fifty years old. Neither his father nor his father's friends had been at Hogwarts fifty years ago. Feeling disappointed, Harry threw the book back into his trunk, turned off the lamp, and rolled over, thinking of werewolves and Snape, Stan Shunpike and the Half-Blood Prince, and finally falling into an uneasy sleep full of creeping shadows and the cries of bitten children. Chatter break. All right, next one is four. I got to remember that this time. There we go. And if you don't like these, if you're watching in the VOD, you can just skip forward. But we're all here right now, and I want to talk to you folks. 
nothing worse than a full stream where they, you know, there's there's no talking to them. Mr. Foose is here. I don't see your actual name here, but I see somebody greeting you. Ah, there you are. Um, and uh, Holly Rose says the Lupin voice is perfect. Love it. Love that voice for him so much. Thank you very much. I enjoy it too. I think Lupin. Um, uh, if I were to, if I were to have the my own choice of who to play in uh, any sort of Harry Potter series, McCoy Quay. Hey, how's it going? Tuna's device is dead. All right. Hey, um, how's that? How's that poor punching bag doing? <laughs> I hope y'all are having a good one, Jack. I hope this is a good, good, uh, good stream for you. Welcome to Scooter Patrol, and uh, uh, everyone else who has joined up tonight. Philly C. Oh, there's another one. Uh, who was it? Anyway, um, thank you all so much for being here. And uh, we've got a chatter break. What are we talking about? Um, we have. Uh, I mean, first of all, I want to be. I want to. I want to. I want to finish the thought from before because I'm bad at that trying to get better at it. Um, if I had had my own choice as to who I could play in a Harry Potter series, it would probably be Sirius Black. That would be my my be my first choice, I think. Um, whether it's a whether it's like a recreation, a, a reboot TV show style of um, of the original series or like an offshoot series, I think Sirius Black would be my would be the one I wanted to do. If I were to guess which one I would actually be cast as. Um, I think I would probably end up being something closer to Lupin because I think Lupin fits my temperament a little better. <laughs> I, I I can't I don't summon quite as much fire as uh, as Sirius Black tends to do regularly. I'm not I'm not as impulsive. Um, yeah, Tess's stream joined today. I'm very glad to have you here. And uh, yes, uh, it sounds like it took a serious beating with a baseball bat earlier. It's out of context, but I'm sure it sounds great. Just uh, stress relief or doing some sort of batariacht, uh, like uh, um, Irish fighting stick martial arts kind of stuff. Because that is, I think, the, the martial art I would be most interested in. Batariacht. It's, it's a, here, let me spell it in chat. I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. Oh boy. Uh, is that right? I think that's correct. Courtney says, "I would love to play Luna or Bellatrix." Oh, those are some, those are some opposing ends of the spectrum. Interesting. Not that exciting. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, I hope y'all are doing well. I'm sure I'll be talking to you again later. But uh, we we're probably running pretty long on this chatter break. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm curious. Y'all, McQuaid wants to be Mrs. Weasley. That's a great answer. I feel like you'd make a pretty good Mrs. Weasley because Mrs. Weasley also summons the fire and Michaela can, McQuaid can find that. <laughs> McQuaid can find that in herself. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be a good match. All right. I want to hear it, folks. Who would you be? I want to I hear both answers. I want to hear A, who would you want to play and B, who do you think you would get chosen to play? All right. And we're going to continue. She has got to be joking. Harry woke with a start to find a bulging stocking lying over the end of his bed. He put on his glasses and looked around. The tiny window was almost completely obscured by snow. And in front of it, Ron was sitting bolt upright in bed, examining what appeared to be a thick gold chain. 
"'What's that?' asked Harry. "'It's from Lavender,' said Ron, sounding revolted. "'She can't honestly think that I would wear...' Harry looked more closely and let out a snort... Oh, excuse me. Let out a shout of laughter. Dangling from the chain in large gold letters were the words, "'My Sweetheart.'" Also, y'all know me pretty well. Who do you think I would get cast as? Because my, my, my take would probably be Lupin, but I'd love to hear it from you. And I, I don't get offended at stuff like this. So, anyone's on the table. My sweetheart. Nice, he said. Classy, you should definitely wear it in front of Fred and George. If you tell them, said Ron, shoving the necklace out of sight under his pillow, I'll, I'll, I will... Stutter at me, said Harry, grinning. Come on, what I? How could she think that I'd like something like that, though? Ron demanded of thin air, looking rather shocked. Well, think back, said Harry. Have you ever let it slip that you'd like to go out in public with the words, My sweetheart, round your neck? Well, we... We don't really talk much, said Ron. It's mainly snogging said Harry. Yeah, well, said Ron. He hesitated a moment and then said, Is Amani still... Excuse me. Is Amani really going out with McCluggan? I don't know, said Harry. They were at Slughorn's party together, but I don't think that went very well. Bill, okay. Psycho says, my wife would so be Trelawney. Interesting. Hermione for both. Says, uh, hook one. Excuse me, hook love one. Uh, solid peeves casting. (laughs) Oh boy. Maybe one of the twins, says Tested Stream. Fantastic. And, uh, Courtney says that, uh, you think I'd make a good Bill. Uh, for my long hair. I would, I would, I would have a great time with Bill. Bill Weasley? Um, yeah, I think of any of the Weasleys, he would definitely be the one I'd be most interested in. Hagrid's brother would be fun to play. <laughs> you have me crop? <laughs> oh, me. <laughs> Wanna be Hagrid? Oh, boy. Sam's getting hassed as Hagrid so we can all hear the voice all day. All right! Well. <laughs> and I, 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 I got some, uh, some fun comments for who was it? I think it was Tuna that that had me say got to protect the formula. <laughs> Somebody enjoyed that quite a bit. I don't know," said Harry. "They were at Slughorn's party together, but I don't think it went that well." Ron looked slightly more cheerful as he delved deeper into his stocking. Harry's presents included a sweater with a large golden snitch worked into the front, hand knitted by Mrs. Weasley a large box of Weasley's Wizard Wheezes products from the twins, and a slightly damp, moldy-smelling package that came with a label reading, To Master, From Creature. Harry stared at it. Do you reckon that this is safe to open? He asked. Can't be anything dangerous. All of our mail is still being searched at the Ministry, replied Ron, though he was eyeing the parcel suspiciously. I didn't think of giving Creature anything. Do people usually give their house elves Christmas presents? Asked Harry, prodding his parcel suspiciously. Nope, it's cautiously. 
I just had too many S's on the brain. <laughs> Hermione would, said Ron. But let's wait and see what it is before you start feeling guilty. A moment later, Harry had given a loud yell and leapt out of his camp bed. The package contained a large number of maggots. <laughs> nice, said Ron, roaring with laughter. <laughs> very, very thoughtful. Rather have them than that necklace, said Harry, which sobered Ron up at once. Everybody was wearing new sweaters when they all sat down for Christmas lunch, except for Fleur, on whom it appeared Mrs. Weasley had not wanted to waste one. And Mrs. Weasley herself, who was sporting a brand new midnight blue witch's hat, glittering with what looked like tiny starlight diamonds, with a spectacular golden necklace. Fred and George gave them to me. Aren't they beautiful? Well, we, uh, we find that we're starting to appreciate you more and more, Mum, now that we're washing our own socks, said George, waving an airy hand. Parsnips, Remus. Harry, you've got a maggot in your hair, said Ginny cheerfully, leaning across the table to pick it out. Harry felt goosebumps erupt up his neck that had nothing to do with the maggot. Horrible, said Fleur, with an affected little shudder. Uh, yes, it is, said Ron. Gravy, Fleur? In his eagerness to help her, he had knocked the gravy boat flying. Bill waved his wand, and the gravy boat soared up into the air and returned meekly to the boat. Did I say that correctly? The gravy soared up in the air and returned meekly to the boat. You are as bad as that Tonks, said Fleur to Ron, when she had finished kissing Bill in thanks. She is always knocking things. I invited dear Tonks to come along today said Mrs. Weasley, setting down the carrots with unnecessary force and glaring at Fleur. But she wouldn't come. Have you spoken to her lately, Remus? Uh, no, I haven't been in contact with anybody very much, said Lupin. But Tonks has got her own family to go to, hasn't she? Hmm, said Mrs. Weasley. Maybe. I got the impression that she was planning to spend Christmas alone, actually. She gave Lupin an annoyed look, as though it was all his fault that she was getting Fleur for a daughter-in-law instead of Tonks. But Harry, glancing across at Fleur, who was now feeding Bill bits of turkey off of her own fork, thought that Mrs. Weasley was fighting a long-lost battle. He was, however, reminded of a question he had in regard to Tonks, and who better to ask than Lupin, the man who knew all about Patronuses. Tonks's Patronus has changed its form, he told him. Snape said so, anyway. I didn't know that could happen. Why would your Patronus change? Hey, good point. Il Tortoise, Liberty, welcome to Scooter Patrol. Good to have y'all here. Lupin took his time chewing his turkey and swallowing before saying slowly... Sometimes a great shock and an emotional upheaval. It looked like it had four legs and it was big, said Harry, struck by a sudden thought and lowering his voice. Hey, could it couldn't be... Arthur, said Mrs. Weasley suddenly. She had risen from her chair. Her hand was pressed over her heart and she was staring out of the window. Arthur, it's Percy. What? Mr. Weasley looked around. Everybody looked quickly at the window. Ginny stood up for a better look. There, sure enough, 
was Percy Weasley. Striding across the snowy, snowy yard, his horn-rimmed glasses glinting in the sunlight. He was not, however, alone. Arthur, he's, he's with the minister. And sure enough, the man Harry had seen in the Daily Prophet was following along in Percy's wake, limping slowly, his mane of graying hair and his black cloak flecked with snow. Before any of them could say anything, before Mr. and Mrs. Weasley could do anything more than exchange stunned looks, the back door opened, and there stood Percy. There was a moment of painful silence. Then Percy said rather stiffly, Merry Christmas, Mother. Oh, Percy! said Mrs. Weasley, and she threw herself into his arms. Rufus Scrimgeour paused in the doorway leaning on his walking stick and smiling as he observed this affected scene. "'You must forgive this intrusion,' he said, when Mrs. Weasley looked around at him, beaming and wiping her eyes. "'Percy and I were in the vicinity, working, you know, and he couldn't resist dropping in and seeing you all.' But Percy showed no signs of wanting to greet any of the rest of the family. He stood, poker-straight and awkward-looking, and stared over everyone else's heads, Mr. Weasley, Fred, and George were all observing him, stony-faced. Oh, "'Please come in and sit down, Minister,' fluttered Mrs. Weasley, straightening her hat. "'Have a little perky or some tudding. I, I mean—' "'No, no, my dear Molly,' said Scrimgeour. Harry guessed that he had checked her name with Percy before entering the house. "'I don't want to intrude. Wouldn't be here at all if Percy didn't want to see you all so badly.' "'Oh, Perse!' said Mrs. Weasley, tearfully, reaching up to kiss him. "'We've only looked in for five minutes, so I'll have a stroll around the yard while you catch up with Percy. "'No, no, I assure you, I don't want to butt in. "'Well, if anyone cared to show me your charming garden. "'Ah, that young man's finished, why don't he... "'Why don't he... "'Why doesn't he take a stroll with me?' That's that's a Rufus Scrimgeour. I think I imagine he's a little older than he appears in that, but uh, it's hard to get that that lion's mane correct. Honestly, if I uh, it, there's a lot of art that I've seen that well, we'll see another piece of art from it, but uh, to get that lion's mane of hair correct, that's tough. The atmosphere around the table changed perceptibly. Everybody looked from Scrimgeour to Harry. Nobody seemed to find Scrimgeour's pretense that he did not know Harry's name convincing, or find it natural that he should have chosen to accompany Harry um, around the garden when Ginny, Fleur, and George also had clean plates. "'Yeah, all right,' said Harry into the silence. He was not fooled. For all Scrimgeour's talk that they had just seen— for all of Scrimgeour's talk that they had just been in the area— that Percy wanted to look up his family, this must be the real reason that they had come, so that Scrimgeour could speak to Harry alone. It's fine, he said quietly as he passed Lupin, who had half risen from his chair. Fine, he added, as Mr. Weasley opened his mouth to speak. Wonderful, said Scrimgeour, standing back to let Harry pass through the door ahead of him. We'll just take a turn around the garden, and Percy and I will be off. Carry on, everyone. Um, that is how the book describes him, though. 
um, yellow eyes and uh, a mane of graying uh, sort of uh, sort of bronze hair, I think something like that. I don't remember exactly the hair color, but definitely graying, and the eyes were described as yellowing. Um, maybe he is some sort of were creature. A were lion. That'd be cool. I don't think we've seen that yet. Were hyenas? All right. Well, Dungeon World crew, you can expect that to show up or something. I don't know exactly what, but some were hyenas would be a cool arena fight, wouldn't it? If any of y'all don't know what I'm talking about, chat plays Dungeon World. Uh, Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific time, so three hours before this starts. Harry walked across the yard toward the Weasley's overgrown, snow-covered garden, Scrimgeour limping slightly at his side. He had, Harry knew, been head of the Auror office. He looked tough and battle-scarred, very different from portly fudge in his bowler hat. Charming, said Scrimgeour stopping at the garden fence and looking out over the snowy lawn and the indistinguishable plants. Charming. Harry said nothing. He could tell that Scrimgeour was watching him. I've wanted to meet you for a very long time, said Scrimgeour, after a few moments. Did you know that? No, said Harry truthfully. Oh, yes, for a very long time. But Dumbledore has been very protective of you, said Scrimgeour. Natural, of course, natural, after what you've been through. Especially what happened at the Ministry. He waited for Harry to say something, but Harry did not oblige, so he went on. We've been hoping for an occasion to talk to you, ever since I gained office, but Dumbledore has, most understandably, as I say, prevented this. Still, Harry said nothing, waiting. All the rumors have flown around, said Scrimgeour. Well, of course, we both know how these stories get distorted. All these whispers of a prophecy of you being the chosen one. They were getting near to it now, Harry thought. The reason Scrimgeour was here. I assume that Dumbledore has discussed these matters with you. Harry deliberated, wondering whether he ought to lie or not. He looked at the little gnome prints all around the flower beds and the scuffed-up patch that marked the spot where Fred had caught the gnome, now wearing the tutu at the top of the Christmas tree. Finally, he decided upon the truth, or a bit of it. Yeah, we've discussed it. Avio, Avio, said Scrimgeour. Harry could see, out of the corner of his eye, Scrimgeour squinting at him so he pretended to be very interested in a gnome that had just poked its head out from underneath a frozen rhododendron. And what has Dumbledore told you, Harry? Sorry, but that's between us, said Harry. He kept his voice as pleasant as he could, and Scrimgeour's tone, too, was light and friendly as he said, Of course, of course, it's a question of confidences. I wouldn't want you to divulge. No, no, and in any case, it doesn't really matter whether you're the chosen one or not. Harry had to mull that one over for a few seconds before responding. I don't really know what you mean, Minister. Well, of course, to you it will matter enormously, said Scrimgeour with a laugh. But <laughs> to the wizarding community at large, it's all perception, isn't it? It's what people believe is important. Harry said nothing. He thought he saw, dimly, where they were headed, but he didn't want to help Scrimgeour get there. 
The gnome under the rhododendron was now digging at worms at its roots, and Harry kept his eyes fixed upon it. "'People believe that you are the chosen one, you see,' said Scrimger. "'They think you quite the hero, which, of course, you are, Harry, chosen or not. How many times have you faced he who must not be named now?' "'Well, anyway,' he pressed on, without waiting for a reply, "'the point is you are a symbol of hope for many, Harry.' The idea that there is someone out there for, well, that he who might be able might be even destined to destroy he who must not be named. Well, naturally, it gives people a lift. And I can't help but feel that once you realize this, you might consider it, well, almost a duty to stand alongside the ministry and give everyone a boost. The gnome had just managed to get a hold of a worm. It was now tugging very hard on it, trying to get it out of the frozen ground. Harry was silent so long that Scrimgeour said, looking from Harry to the gnome, Funny little chaps, aren't they? But what do you say, Harry? Hmm. I don't exactly understand what you want, said Harry slowly. Stand alongside the ministry. What does that mean? Well, I assure you, nothing at all onerous, said Scrimgeour. If you were to be seen popping in and out of the ministry from time to time, for instance, that would give the right impression. And of course... While you were there, you'd have ample opportunity to speak to Gawain Robards, my successor as head of the Auror office. Dolores Umbridge has told me that you cherish an ambition to become an Auror. Well, that could be arranged very easily. Harry felt anger bubbling in the pit of his stomach. So Dolores Umbridge was still at the Ministry, was she? So, basically, he said, as though he wanted to clarify a few points. You'd like to give the impression that I'm working for the Ministry. It would give everyone a lift to see that you are more involved, Harry, said Scrimgeour, sounding relieved that Harry had cottoned on so quickly. The chosen one, you know. It's all about giving people hope, the feeling that exciting things are happening. But if I keep running in and out of the Ministry, said Harry, still endeavouring to keep his voice friendly, won't it seem as though I approve of what the Ministry is up to? Well, said Scrimgeour, frowning slightly. Well, yes, that's partly why we'd like... No, I don't think that'll work, said Harry pleasantly. You see, I don't like some of the things that the Ministry's doing. Locking up Stan Shunpike, for instance. Scrimgeour did not speak for a moment, but his expression hardened instantly. I would not expect you to understand he said, and he was not as successful at keeping anger out of his voice at Harry as Harry has had... Ooh, boy. And he was not as successful at keeping anger out of his voice as Harry had been. These are dangerous times that certain measures need to be taken. You are 16 years old. Dumbledore's a lot older than 16, and he doesn't think Stan should be in Azkaban either, said Harry. You're making Stan a scapegoat, just like you wanted to make me a mascot. They looked at each other, long and hard. 
Finally, Scrimgeour said, with no pretense of warmth, I see. You prefer, like your hero, Dumbledore, to dissociate yourself from the Ministry. I don't want to be used, said Harry. Some would say that it's your duty to be used by the Ministry. Yeah, and others might say that it's your duty to check that people really are Death Eaters before you chuck them in prison, said Harry, his temper rising now. You're doing what Barty Crouch did. You never get it right, you people, do you? Either we've got Fudge pretending everything's lovely while people get murdered right under his nose, or we've got you chucking the wrong people into jail and pretending that you've got the Chosen One working for you. So you're not the Chosen One, said Scrimgeour. I thought you said it didn't matter either way, <laughs> said Harry with a bitter laugh. Not to you, anyway. I shouldn't have said that, said Scrimgeour quickly. It was tactless. No, but it was honest, said Harry. One of the only honest things that you said to me. I don't care whether I live or die, but I do care... Oh, excuse me. You don't care whether I live or die, but you do care that I help you convince everyone that you're winning the war against Voldemort. I haven't forgotten, Minister. He raised his right fist. There, shining white on the back of his cold hand, were the scars which Dolores Umbridge had forced him to carve into his own flesh. I must not tell lies. I don't, you re I don't remember you rushing to my defense when I was trying to tell everyone Voldemort was back. The Ministry wasn't so keen to be pals last year. They stood in silence, as icy as the ground beneath their feet. The gnome had finally managed to extricate his worm and was now sucking on it happily, leaning against the bottommost branches of the rhododendron bush. What is Dumbledore up to? said Scrimshaw brusquely. Where does he go when he's absent from Hogwarts? No idea, said Harry. And you wouldn't tell me if you knew, said Scrimshaw. Would you? No, I wouldn't, said Harry. Well, then I'll, I shall have to see whether I can't find out by some other means. You can try, said Harry indifferently. You seem cleverer than Fudge, so I'd have thought you'd learned from his mistakes. He tried interfering at Hogwarts, so you might have noticed. He's not minister anymore, but Dumbledore is still headmaster. I'd leave Dumbledore alone if I were you. There was a long pause. Well, it is clear to me that he's done a very good job on you, said Scrimgeour, his eyes cold and his and his eyes cold and hard behind his wire-rimmed glasses. Dumbledore's man, through and through, aren't you, Potter? Yeah, I am, said Harry. Glad we straightened that out. And turning his back on the Minister of Magic, he strode back toward the house. That is the end of our first chapter for today. Um, because we are running a little bit behind, I'm going to head straight into my five-minute break. Once again, I set a timer for five minutes, and then I am back. So, five-minute break, get, grab some water, use the bathroom. I will be back in five minutes. You'll be able to hear the, uh, the, uh, the, oh boy, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the music in the interim, unless you're on Discord. Uh, but thank you all very much for joining me right now. Um, I look forward to talking to you again once I get, once I get back. Oof, you can hear it. 
man, once I, this is the reason why I can't do like eight hour reading sessions. I start to jumble so much, but uh, all right, five minutes and then we're back, back with our second chapter for the night. See you in five. And we're back everyone. Uh, as a number of you picked out, yes, indeed, this is my very bad Sean Connery, but, uh, it works. I think it works for Rufus Scrimgeour. I think Sean Connery, um, in the day would have made a very, very good, uh, Rufus Scrimgeour, partially because I really want to see, um, Sean Connery with that much hair. <laughs> I think that would be fun. Uh, the book says it's a lion's mane of hair and, uh, I think that's fantastic. Um, let me go ahead. I'm going to turn the AC on briefly. Unfortunately, the, uh, sorry, yeah, I wish I had a better way to not startle the people in Discord when I come back from, uh, from the break, but sorry. Ava, I'm sorry to you and your precious doggo. <laughs> Ran in barking, looking for trouble. I do have an important question about your dog, though, Ava. Jigu girl? <laughs> um, y'all are talking about crepes? Crepes, eh? Uh, Death from Above uh, says, Review. Harry says no to the Minister of Magic being a mascot. Um, yeah, so for our, our review here, for anyone who is joining us late, um, fantastic crepes and where to find them. All right. Uh, Liberty, I want to hear just... The first entry in your new book, Fantastic Crepes and Where to Find Them. Where are the best crepes from back home? Shotzi says, uh, Sean Connery is the only guy that's nearly 150 years old and still a handsome devil. I tell you what, oh, y'all want to hear something terrible and terrible and very funny and terrible? Um, so Tuna Sunday had an app for a while that he loved to bug me with. Uh, I do not care for like the face change apps. I don't really know why I don't like them, but um, Tuna found uh, one that ages you up, which I'm sure like it's not, it's not Tuna's special arcane knowledge. Tuna found one that ages you up um, and had that one for a while. He took a picture of me i think it was an old headshot that i had used and i'm gonna try and i'm gonna i'll put that in the in the discord later but there is a <laughs> there is a a picture of me aged up and i look so much like sean connery <laughs> um but uh, i'm setting myself a reminder otherwise i will certainly forget but uh let's see discord old sam picture Uh, set my alarm for tonight at, let's see, what time will I be? So, we'll do 6.45. There we go. Just in case I don't quite remember. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Luis, that would be nice. 
I'm reading back in the chat on Discord for a little bit. Percy sees the, uh, Seth says, Percy sees the ministry's stiff upper echelon as the epitome of success. He looks at his lovingly playful family with disdain for not fitting the mold of where he wants to be accepted. Yeah, and I almost wonder if it's uh, reactive to that, you know? He, he is not the oldest, he's not the youngest, he is not the, uh, necessarily the most courageous, he's not the most intelligent, he might be the most intelligent of his, his family, um, but... I think, uh, oh, Lord, Nate found it. Oh, it actually doesn't look as much like uh, Tuna Sunday, or as much like Tuna Sunday, as much like um, uh, Sean Connery as I remember. But uh, Tuna has gone ahead and <laughs> put the picture of old Sam in Discord. I will do it again later, don't worry. But uh, yeah, if you're looking for the Discord information, you can find it in the uh, in the description box. Oh boy, <laughs> that picture makes me laugh though, because it 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 is like surprisingly adept. It doesn't look like a fake, you know, app created picture. It looks it looks pretty legit, and I could see myself looking like that. I also don't know if I'd really mind, you know. That's kind of a that's kind of an intense, uh, a nice like musical theater villain kind of look to it. Again, I'll put it in there later, so y'all don't need to to uh, ditch mixer if you're in there right now. So. Um, let us continue, I think, on our on our path forward. Um, we are about to embark on chapter 17. As a matter of fact, we've got to kind of get the engine revved here. Um, quick review. Hey, Doggish, welcome to Scooter Patrol. Um, quick review. We are uh, in chapter 17. In our last chapter, we have our Christmas with the Weasleys, and it looks like uh, Fleur is continuing to be... Um, She's not really catching the whole Weasley flavor, um, and she's being, you know, initially when we talked about it, it seems like there could have been just some sort of cultural misunderstandings. At this point, I think it's fair to say that she's being kind of insensitive to uh, some of the things that the, the, the Weasley family enjoys. Um, there's, there's some tension there between Fleur and the, uh, the Weasleys, especially Mrs. Weasley. Um, and then uh, we, it, it, I'm not, I won't say it's not a creepy picture, folks. If you see it, it's going to look kind of creepy. But like I said, a great musical theater villain, right? Tell me that wouldn't make a great, uh, like, uh, older, played older Javert or something like that. There, out in the darkness, a fugitive running, fallen from grace. I'm telling you. See it on the face. <laughs> see it in the eyebrows see it in the in the gray hair which is for some reason totally white at the bottom and totally black up at the top anyway um uh so a uh, little little tension there but mainly the the main event from the last chapter is percy weasley shows up at christmas lunch um this is a surprise to everyone and it seems like uh you know he and accompanied by the minister um they were just dropping in because Percy really wanted to see his family. Uh, over the course of time, it seems like maybe the story is more along the lines of the minister needed a chance to talk to Harry alone and used Percy to make that happen. Even Percy doesn't seem super stoked about being here. Um, we find ourselves outside with uh, Percy and, excuse me, excuse me, with Harry and Rufus Scrimgeour, the Minister of Magic. Um, who, hey, tell you what, that, that Discord picture of me actually looks like I would make a decent uh, Rufus Scrimgeour as well. Um, but uh, Rufus Scrimgeour seems 
to be sort of angling for something. He takes forever to get to it. Finally, he just comes out with it. He kind of wants Harry to make some appearances with the Ministry of Magic. Make it seem like he and they are working together. He as the Chosen One, they as the Ministry for Magic, and uh, you know, working together really making the world a safer place. Harry says, no, not going to happen. It would make it seem like I approve of what you're doing, and frankly, I don't. Um, you've got Stan Shunpike locked up, so you can look like you're locking up Death Eaters when really, he's not. Um, you've got, uh, um, you are continuing to employ Dolores Umbridge, who clearly made Harry's life very difficult. They weren't so keen to be pals last year, were they? And, uh, no. And Scrimgeour expresses that he's disappointed that Harry has decided to be such an ally to Dumbledore. But that's where we are, that's where we find ourselves, and that's where we are going to move on from into our next chapter. And this is our final chapter for the night. Once again, if you've got something you'd like to talk about, I want to talk about it. Go ahead and put it in chat. We'll talk about it at a chatter break or after the chapter is over. So, let's do it! Chapter 17. A Sluggish Memory. In the late afternoon, a few days after New Year, Harry, Ron, and Ginny lined up beside the kitchen fire to return to Hogwarts. The Ministry had arranged this one-off connection to the flu network to return students quickly and safely to the school. Only Mrs. Weasley was there to say goodbye, as Mr. Weasley, Fred, George, Bill, and Fleur were all at work. Mrs. Weasley dissolved into tears at the moment of parting. Admittedly, it took very little to set her off lately. She had been crying off and on ever since Percy had stormed from the house on Christmas Day with his glasses spattered with mashed turnip. Excuse me, mashed parsnip, for which Fred, George, and Ginny all claimed credit. Don't cry, Mum, said Ginny, patting her on the back as Mrs. Weasley sobbed into her shoulder. It's okay. Yeah, don't worry about us, said Ron, patting his, permitting his mother a very wet kiss on the cheek. What about Percy? He's such a prat, it's not really a loss, is it? Mrs. Weasley sobbed harder than ever as she enfolded Harry in her arms. Promise me that you'll look after yourself. Stay out of trouble. I always do, Mrs. Weasley, said Harry. I like a quiet life, you know me. She gave a watery chuckle and stood back. Be good then, all of you. Harry stepped into the emerald fire and shouted, Hogwarts! He had one last fleeting view of the Weasley's kitchen and Mrs. Weasley's tearful face before the flames engulfed him. Spinning very fast, he caught blurred glimpses of other wizarding rooms, which were whipped out of sight before he could get a proper look. Then he was slowing down, finally stopping squarely in the fireplace in Professor McGonagall's office. She barely glanced up from her work as he clambered over the grate. Evening, Potter. Try not to get too much ash on the carpet. No, Professor. Harry straightened his glasses and flattened his hair as Ron came spinning into view. When Ginny had arrived, all three of them trooped out of McGonagall's office and off toward the Gryffindor Tower. Harry glanced out of the corridor windows as they passed. The sun was already sinking over the grounds, carpeted in deeper snow than had lain over the burrow garden. In the distance, he could see Hagrid feeding Buckbeak in front of his cabin. Baubles! said Ron confidently when they had reached the fat lady, who was looking rather paler than usual and winced at his loud voice. 
No. What do you mean, no? There is a new password, she said. And please don't shout. But we've been away. How are we supposed to... Hurry, Ginny. Hermione was hurrying toward them, very pink-faced and wearing a hat, coat, and gloves. Gloves. She's wearing some gloves. Wearing a cloak, hat, and gloves. I got back a couple of hours ago. I've been down to visit Hagrid and Buckbeak. I mean, Witherwings, she said breathlessly. Did you have a good Christmas? Yeah, said Ron at once. Pretty eventful. Rufus scrimped. I've got something for you, said Hermione, neither looking at Ron nor giving any sign that she had heard him. Oh, hang on. Password. Abstinence. Precisely, said the fat lady in a feeble voice and swung forward to reveal the portrait hall. What's up with her? said Harry. Overindulged over Christmas, apparently, said Hermione, rolling her eyes as she led the way into the packed common room. She and her friend Violet drank their way all the way through that wine in the picture of the drunk monks down by the charms corridor. Anyway, she rummaged in her pocket for a moment, then pulled out a roll of parchment with Dumbledore's handwriting on it. Great, said Harry, unrolling uh, unrolling it at once to discover that his next lesson with Dumbledore was scheduled for the following night. I've got loads to tell him, and you. Let's sit down. But at that moment, there was a loud squeal of... One, one! And Lavender Brown came hurtling out of nowhere and flung herself into Ron's arms. Several outlookers snickered. Hermione gave a tinkling laugh and said, There's a table over there. You coming, Ginny? No, thanks. I said that I'd meet Dean, said Ginny, though Harry noticed she did not sound very enthusiastic. Leaving Ron and Lavender locked in a kind of vertical wrestling match these descriptions. Harry led Hermione over to the spare table. So, how was your Christmas? Oh, fine, she shrugged. Nothing special. How was it at One Wands? I'll tell you in a minute, said Harry. Look, Hermione, can't you? No, I can't, she said flatly. So don't even ask. I thought maybe, you know, over Christmas, it was the fat lady who drank a fat of 500-year-old wine, Harry, not me. So, what is this very important news that you wanted to tell me? She looked too fierce to argue with at the moment, so Harry dropped the subject of Ron and recounted all that he had overheard between Malfoy and Snape. When he had finished, Hermione sat in thought for a moment, and then said, Don't you think he was pretending to offer to help so that he could trick Malfoy into telling him what he's doing? Well, yes, said Hermione. Ron's dad and Lupin think so, Harry said grudgingly, but this definitely proves that Malfoy is planning something. You can't deny that. No, I can't, she answered slowly, and he's acting on Voldemort's orders, just like I said. Hmm. Did either of them actually mention Voldemort's name? Harry frowned, trying to remember. I'm not sure. Snape definitely said, your master, and who else could that be? I don't know, said Hermione, biting her lip. Maybe his father? She stared across the room, apparently lost in thought, not even noticing Lavender tickling Ron. How's Lupin? Not great, said Harry, and he told her all about Lupin's mission among the werewolves and the difficulties that he was facing. 
Have you heard of this Fenrir Greyback? Oh, yes, I have, said Hermione, sounding startled. And so have you, Harry. When? History of magic? You know full well I never listened. No, no, not history of magic. Malfoy threatened Porkin with him, said Hermione. Back in Nocturn Alley, don't you remember? He told Porkin that Greyback was an old family friend, and that he'd be checking up on Porkin's progress. Harry gaped at her. I forgot. But this proves that Malfoy's a Death Eater. How else could he be in contact with Greyback and telling him what to do? It is pretty suspicious, breathed Hermione. Unless... Oh, come on, said Harry in exasperation. You can't get around this one. Well, there is the possibility that it was an empty threat. You are unbelievable, you are, said Harry, shaking his head. We'll see who's right. You'll be eating your words, Hermione, just like the Ministry. Oh, yeah, I had a row with Rufus Scrimgeour as well. And the rest of the evening passed amicably, with both of them abusing the Minister for Magic. For Hermione, like Ron, thought that after all the Ministry had put Harry through the previous year, they had a great deal of nerve asking him for help now. Oops. I'm missing a picture. That's alright, we're just going to hang out on this one for a while. The new term started next morning, with a pleasant surprise for the sixth years. A large sign had been pinned to the common room notice boards overhead. Excuse me, overnight. Apparition lessons. If you are 17 years of age, or will turn 17, on or before the 31st of August next, you are eligible for a 12-week course in apparition lessons from a Ministry of Magic apparition instructor. Please sign below if you would like to participate. Cost 12 galleons. I just, I just now made the connection. This is driver's ed. Did not make the connection till right this moment. This is driver's ed. All right. Sorry, just had a revelation. Had to get it out there. Harry and Ron joined the crowd that was jostling around the notice and taking it in turns to write their names at the bottom. Ron was just taking out his quill to sign after Hermione when Lavender crept up behind him, slipped her hands over his eyes, and trilled, Guess who won one? Harry turned to see Hermione stalking off. He caught up with her, having no wish to stay behind with Ron and Lavender, but to his surprise, Ron caught up with them only a little way beyond the portrait hole, his ears bright red and his expression disgruntled. Without a word, Hermione sped up to walk with Neville. <sighs> so, uh, apparition, said Ron, his tone making it perfectly plain that Harry was not to mention what had just happened. Should be a laugh, eh? I don't know said Harry. Maybe it's better when you do it yourself. But I didn't enjoy it when Dumbledore took me along for the ride. Oh, I forgot you'd already done it. I better pass my test the first time, said Ron, looking anxious. Fred and George did. Charlie failed, though, didn't he? Yeah, but Charlie's bigger than me. Ron held out his arms from his body as though he were a gorilla. So Fred and George didn't go on about it much. Not to his face, anyway. Sorry. Gotta hydrate. Something's drying me out. 
And I've got a bunch of Dumbledore later this chapter, so we'll see how it goes. I don't know, Tested Stream. We'll have to see. Um, let's see. When can we take the actual test? Soon as we're 17. That's only March for me. Yeah, but you wouldn't be able to operate in here. Not in the castle. It's not the point, is it? Everyone would know how that I could operate if I want to. Ron was not the only one who seemed to be excited at the prospect of apparition. All that day, there was much talk about the forthcoming lessons. A great deal of store was set by being able to vanish and reappear at will. Well, heck yeah there is. It's teleportation. Come on, folks. How cool would it be if we could just... Seamus clicked his fingers to indicate disappearance. My cousin Fergus does it just to annoy me. You wait till I can do it back and never have another peaceful moment. Lost in visions of this happy prospect, he flicked his wand a little too enthusiastically, so that instead of producing the fountain of pure water that was the object of today's charms lesson, he let out a hose-like jet that ricocheted off the ceiling and knocked Professor Flitwick flat on his face. Harry's already operated, Ron told a slightly abashed Seamus, after Professor Flitwick had dried himself off with a wave of his wand and set Seamus lines. I am not a excuse me. I am a wizard, not a baboon brandishing a stick. Dumble, uh, someone took him. Side along apparition, you know. Whoa, whispered Seamus, and he, Dean, and Neville put their heads together a little closer to hear what apparition felt like. For the rest of the day, Harry was besieged with requests from other sixth years to describe the sensation of apparition. All of them seemed awed rather than put off when he told them how uncomfortable it was, and he was still answering little detailed questions at ten to eight that evening. And he was forced to lie and say that he needed to return a book to the library so as to escape in time for his lesson with Dumbledore. A little bit, Shotzi. The lamps in Dumbledore's office were lit. The portraits of previous headmasters were snoring gently in their frames, and the pensive was ready upon the desk once more. Dumbledore's hands lay on either side of it, the right one as blackened and burnt-looking as ever. It did not seem to have healed at all, and Harry wondered, for perhaps the hundredth time, what had caused such a distinctive injury. But he did not ask. Dumbledore had said that he would know eventually, and there was, in any case, another subject he wanted to discuss. But before Harry could say anything about Snape and Malfoy, Dumbledore spoke. I hear that you met the Minister for Magic over the Christmas. Over the Christmas? What? I hear that you met the Minister of Magic over Christmas. Yes, said Harry. He's not very happy with me. No, said Dumbledore. Sighed Dumbledore. He was not very happy with me either. We must try not to sink beneath our anguish, Harry, but battle on. Harry grinned. He wanted me to tell the wizarding community that the Ministry is doing a wonderful job. Dumbledore smiled. It was Fudge's idea originally, you know. During his last days in office, when he was desperately trying to cling to his post, he sought a meeting with you, hoping that you would give him your support. After everything Fudge did last year, said Harry angrily, after Umbridge? I told Cornelius that there was no chance of it, but the idea did not die when he left office. 
Within hours of Scrimgeour's appointment with me... Appointment? Within hours of Scrimgeour's appointment, we met, and he demanded that I arrange a meeting with you. So that's why you argued, Harry blurted out. It was in the Daily Prophet. The Prophet is bound to report the truth occasionally, said Dumbledore, if only accidentally. Yes, that was why we argued. Well, it appears that Rufus found a way to corner you at last. He accused me of being Dumbledore's man through and through. How very rude of him. I told him I was. Dumbledore opened his mouth to speak and then closed it again. Behind Harry, Fox the Phoenix let out a low, soft, musical cry. To Harry's intense embarrassment, he suddenly realized that Dumbledore's bright blue eyes looked rather watery, and he stared at his own knees. When Dumbledore spoke, however, his voice was quite steady. I'm very touched, Harry. Scrimgeour wanted to know where you go when you're not at Hogwarts, said Harry, still looking fixedly at his knees. Yes, he is very nosy about that, said Dumbledore, now sounding cheerful, and Harry thought it safe to look up again. He has even attempted to have me followed. Uh, Amusing, really, he set Dawlish to tell me. It wasn't kind. I've already been forced to jinx Dawlish once. I did it again with the greatest regret. So, they still don't know where you're going? asked Harry, hoping for more information on this intriguing suspect, suspect, subject, but Dumbledore merely smiled over the top of his half-moon spectacles. No, they don't, and the time is not quite right for you to know either. Now I suggest that we press on, unless there is anything else. There is, actually, sir, said Harry. It's about Malfoy and Snape. Professor Snape, Harry. Yes, sir. I overheard them during Professor Slughorn's party. Well, I I followed them, actually. Dumbledore listened to Harry's story with an impassive face. When Harry had finished, he did not speak for a few moments, and then said, Thank you for telling me this, Harry, but I suggest that you put it out of your mind. I do not think that it is of great importance. Not of great importance, repeated Harry incredulously. Professor, did you understand? Yes, Harry, blessed as I am with extraordinary brain power, I understood everything you told me, said Dumbledore a little sharply. I think you might even consider the possibility that I understood more than you did. Again, I am glad that you have confided in me, but let me reassure you, you have not told me anything that causes me disquiet. Harry sat in seething silence, glaring at Dumbledore. What was going on? Did this mean that Dumbledore had indeed ordered Snape to find out what Malfoy was doing, in which case he had already overheard everything Harry had just heard, in which case he had already heard everything Harry had just told him from Snape? Or was he really worried by what he had heard, but pretending not to be? So, sir, said Harry in a what he hoped would be a polite, calm voice. You still definitely trust. I have been tolerant enough to answer that question already, 
said Dumbledore, but he did not sound very tolerant any more. My answer has not changed. I should think not, said a snide voice. Phineas Nigellus was evidently only pretending to sleep. Dumbledore ignored him. Um, now, Harry, I must insist that we press on. I have more important things to discuss with you this evening. Harry sat there feeling mutinous. How would it be if he refused to permit the change of subject? If he insisted upon arguing the case against Malfoy? As though he had read Harry's mind, Dumbledore shook his head. Ah, Harry. How often this happens, even between the best of friends. Each of us believes that what he has to say is more important than anything the other might have to contribute. I don't think that what you've got to say is unimportant, sir, said Harry stiffly. Well, you're quite right, because it is not, said Dumbledore. I have two more memories to show you this evening, both obtained with enormous difficulty, and the second of them is, I think, the most important I have collected. Harry did not say anything to this. He still felt angry at the reception his confidences had received. But he didn't see what could be gained by arguing further. Just a second, folks. I have to respond to a message. All right. So, said Dumbledore, in a ringing voice. We meet this evening to continue the tale of Tom Riddle, whom we last left poised on the threshold of his years at Hogwarts. You will remember how excited he was to hear that he was a wizard, that he refused my company on a trip to Diagon Alley, and that I in turn warned him against continued thievery when he arrived at school. Well, the start of the school year arrived, and with it came Tom Riddle, a quiet boy in his second-hand robes who lined up with the other first years to be sorted. He was sorted into Slytherin almost the moment that the sorting hat touched his head, continued Dumbledore, waving his blackened hand toward the shelf over his head where the sorting hat sat, ancient and unmoving. How soon Riddle learned that the famous founder of the house could talk to snakes, I do not know. Perhaps that very evening. The knowledge can only have excited him and increased his sense of self-importance. However, if he was frightened or impressing, if he was frightening or impressing fellow Slytherins with displays of parcel tongue in the common room, no sign of it reached the staff. He showed no sign of outward arrogance or aggression at all. An unusually talented and very good-looking orphan, he naturally grew attention. He naturally drew attention. 
and sympathy from the staff almost from the moment of his arrival. He seemed polite, quiet, and thirsty for knowledge. Nearly all were most favourably impressed by him. Didn't you tell them, sir, what he'd been like when you met him at the orphanage? asked Harry. No, I did not. Though he had shown no sign of remorse, it was possible that he felt sorry for how he had behaved before, and was resolved to turn over a fresh leaf. I chose to give him that chance. Dumbledore paused and looked inquiringly at Harry, who had opened his mouth to speak. Here again was Dumbledore's tendency to trust people in spite of overwhelming evidence that they did not deserve it. But then Harry remembered something. But you didn't really trust him, sir, did you? You told me. The riddle who came out of that diary said, Dumbledore never seemed to like me as much as the other's teachers did. Let us say that I did not take for granted that he was trustworthy, said Dumbledore. He had, as I have already indicated, resolved to keep a close... I had, as I have already indicated, resolved to keep a close eye upon him, and so I did. I cannot pretend that I gleaned a great deal from my observations at first. He was very guarded with me. He felt, I am sure, that in the thrill of discovering his true identity, that he had told me a little too much. He was careful never to reveal as much again, but he could not take back what he had let slip in his excitement, nor what Mrs. Cole had confided in me. However, he had the sense never to try and charm me as he had charmed so many of my colleagues. As he moved up in the school, he gathered about him a group of dedicated friends. I call them that for want of a better term, although, as I have already indicated, Riddle undoubtedly felt no affection for any of them. This group had a kind of dark glamour within the castle. They were a motley collection, a mixture of the weak seeking protection, the ambitious seeking some shared glory, and the thuggish gravitating toward a leader who could show them the more refined forms of cruelty. In other words, they were the forerunners of the Death Eaters, and indeed some of them became the first Death Eaters after leaving Hogwarts. Rigidly controlled by Riddle, they were never detected in open wrongdoing, although their seven years at Hogwarts were marked by a number of nasty incidences to which they were never satisfactorily linked the most serious of which, of course, was the opening of the Chamber of Secrets, which resulted in the death of a girl. As you know, Hagrid was wrongly accused of that crime. I have not been able to find many memories of Riddle at Hogwarts, said Dumbledore, placing his withered hand upon the pensive. Few who knew him were prepared to talk about him. They were too terrified. What I know, I found out, after he had left Hogwarts, after much painstaking effort, after tracing those few who could be tricked into speaking, after searching old records and questioning muggle and wizard witnesses alike. Those whom I could persuade to talk to me told me that Riddle was obsessed with his parentage. This is understandable, of course. He... 
I scrolled way past where I need to be. Whoops. It is understandable, of course. He had grown up in an orphanage and naturally wished to know how he came to be there. It seems that he searched in vain for some trace of Tom Riddle Sr. on the shields in the trophy room, or on the list of prefects in the old school records, even in the books of wizarding history. Finally, he was forced to accept that his father had never set foot in Hogwarts. I believe that it was then that he dropped the name forever, assuming the identity of Lord Voldemort, and began his investigations into his previously despised mother's family. The woman whom you will remember, he had thought could not be a witch, if she had succumbed to the shameful human weakness of death. All that he had to go upon was the single name, Marvolo, which he knew from those who ran the orphanage had been his mother's favor, his mother's father's name. Finally, after painstaking research through the old books of wizarding families, he discovered the existence of Slytherin's surviving line. In the summer of his sixteenth year, he left the orphanage, to which he had returned annually, and set off to find his gaunt relatives. And now, Harry, if you will stand. Dumbledore rose, and Harry saw that he was again holding a small crystal bottle filled with swirling, pearly memory. I was very lucky to collect this, he said as he poured the gleaming mass into the pensive, as you will understand when we have experienced it. Shall we? Harry stepped up to the stone basin and bowed obediently until his face sank through the surface of the memory. He felt the familiar sensation of falling through nothingness, and then landed upon a dirty stone floor in almost total darkness. It took him several seconds to recognize the place, by which time Dumbledore had landed beside him. The Gaunt's house was now more indescribably filthy than ever. than anywhere Harry had ever seen. The ceiling was thick with cobwebs, the floor coated in grime. Moldy and rotting food lay upon the table amidst a mass of crusted pots. The only light came from a single guttering candle placed at the feet of a man with hair and beard so overgrown Harry could see neither eyes nor mouth. He was slumped in an armchair by the fire. and Harry wondered for a moment whether he was dead. But then there came a loud knocking on the door, and the man jerked awake, raising a wand in his right hand and a short knife in his left. The door creaked open. There on the threshold, holding an old-fashioned lamp, stood a boy Harry recognized at once. Tall, pale, dark-haired, and handsome. The teenage Voldemort. Sorry, got another message I have to respond to.
Voldemort's eyes moved slowly around the hovel and then found the man in the armchair. For a few seconds, they looked at each other, and the man staggered upright, the many empty bottles at his feet clattering and tinkling across the floor. You! he bellowed. You! And he hurtled drunkenly at Riddle, wand and knife held aloft. Stop! Riddle spoke in parcel tongue. The man skidded into the table, sending moldy pots crashing to the floor. He stared at Riddle. There was a long silence while they contemplated each other. The man broke it. And this is in parcel mouth. I'll, I'll let you know when we stop speaking in parcel mouth here. You speak it. Yes, I speak it, said Riddle. He moved forward into the room, allowing the door to swing shut behind him. Harry could not help but feel a resentful admiration for Voldemort's complete lack of fear. His face merely expressed disgust and, perhaps, disappointment. "'Where is Marvolo?' he asked. "'Dead,' said the other. "'Died years ago, didn't he?' Riddle frowned. Who are you, then? I'm Morvin, ain't I? Marvolo's son. Cause I am, then. Morfin pushed the hair out of his dirty face, the better to see Riddle, and Harry saw that he wore Marvolo's black-stoned ring on his right hand. I thought you were that muggle, whispered Morfin. You look mighty like that muggle. What muggle? said Riddle sharply. That muggle what my sister took a fancy to. That muggle what lives in the big house over the way, said Morfin, and he spat unexpectedly on the floor between them. You look right like him, Riddle. But he's older now, isn't he? He's older than you, now I think of it. Morfin looked slightly dazed and swayed a little, still clutching the edge of the table for support. He'll come back, see he added stupidly. Voldemort was gazing at Morfin as though praising his possibilities. Now he moved a little closer and said, Riddle came back. Ah, he left her, and serve her right, marrying filth, said Morfin, spitting on the floor again. Rob us, mind, before she ran off. Where's the locket? Eh, where is Slytherin's locket? Voldemort did not answer. Morfin was working himself into a rage again. He brandished his knife and shouted, This only last she did, little slut. And who are you coming here and asking questions about all that? It's over, isn't it? It's over. He looked away, staggering slightly, and Voldemort moved forward. As he did so, an unnatural darkness fell, extinguishing Voldemort's lamp and Morfin's candle extinguishing everything. Dumbledore's fingers closed tightly around Harry's arm and they were, once again, soaring back into the present. The soft golden light in Dumbledore's office seemed to dazzle Harry's eyes after that impenetrable darkness. Saratoga Seth, welcome to Scooter Patrol. Good to have you here. Is that all? 
said Harry at once. Why did it go dark? What happened? Because Morfin could not remember anything from that point onward, said Dumbledore, gesturing Harry back into his seat. When he awoke the next morning, he was lying on the floor, quite alone. Marvolo's ring had gone. Meanwhile, in the village of Little Hangleton, a maid was running along the high street, screaming that there were three bodies lying in the drawing-room of the big house. Tom Riddle Sr. and his mother and father. The Muggle authorities were perplexed. As far as I am aware, they do not to this day know how the Riddles died, for the Avada Kedavra curse does not usually leave any sign of damage. The exception sits before me. Dumbledore added, with a nod to Harry's scar. The Ministry, on the other hand, knew at once that this was a wizard's murder. They also knew that a convicted muggle-hater lived across the valley from the Riddle House, a muggle-hater who had already been imprisoned once for attacking one of the murdered individuals. So the Ministry called upon Morfin. They did not need to question him, to use veritaserum or legilimency. He admitted to the murder on the spot, giving details only the murderer could know. He was proud, he said, to have killed the Muggles, had been awaiting his chance all these years. He handed over his wand, which proved at once to be the one used to kill the Muggles, and he permitted himself to be led off to Azkaban without a fight. All that disturbed him was the fact that his father's ring had disappeared. He'll kill me for losing it, he told his captors over and over again. He'll kill me for losing his ring. And that apparently was all that he ever said again. He lived out the remainder of his life in Azkaban, lamenting the loss of Marvola's last heirloom, and is buried beside the prison, alongside the poor souls who have expired within its walls. So Voldemort stole Morfin's wand and used it, said Harry, sitting up straight. That's right, said Dumbledore. We have no memories to show this, but I think we can be fairly sure what happened. Voldemort stupefied his uncle, took his wand, and proceeded across the valley to the big old house over the way. There he murdered the muggle man who had abandoned his witch mother, and for good measure his muggle grandparents, thus obliterating the last of the unworthy riddle line and revenging himself upon the father who never wanted him. Then he returned to the gaunt hovel, performed the complex bits of magic that would implant a false memory in his uncle's mind, laid Morfin's wand beside his unconscious owner, pocketed the ancient ring that he wore, and departed. And Morfin never realised he hadn't done it. Never, said Dumbledore. He gave, as I say, a full and boastful confession. But he had this real memory all the time. Yes, it took a great deal of skilled legitimacy to coax it out of him, said Dumbledore. And why should anyone delve farther into Morfin's mind when he had already confessed to the crime? However, I was able to secure a visit to Morfin the last weeks of his life by which time I was attempting to discover as much as I could about Voldemort's past. I extracted this memory with difficulty, 
when I saw what it contained. I attempted to use it to secure Morfin's release from Azkaban. Before the ministry, before the ministry reached their decision, however, Morfin had died. But how come the ministry didn't realize Voldemort had done all of that to Morfin? Harry said angrily. He was underage at the time, wasn't he? I thought they could detect underage magic. You are quite right. They can detect magic, but not the perpetrator. You will remember that you were blamed by the Ministry for the hover charm that was in fact caused by... Dobby, growled Harry. This injustice still rankled. So if you're underage and you do magic inside an adult witch or wizard's house, the Ministry won't know? They will certainly be unable to tell who performed the magic, said Dumbledore, smiling slightly with a look of great indignation on Harry's face. They rely on witch and wizard parents to enforce their offspring's obedience within their walls. Well, that's rubbish, snapped Harry. Look what happened here. Look what happened to Morfin. I agree. Whatever Morfin was, he did not deserve to die as he did. Blamed for murders that he did not commit. But it is getting late, and I want you to see this other memory before we part. Dumbledore took from an inside pocket another crystal file, and Harry fell silent at once, remembering that Dumbledore had said it was the most important one that he had collected. Harry noticed that its contents proved difficult to empty into the pensive, as though they had congealed slightly. Did memories go bad? This will not take long, said Dumbledore, when he had finally emptied the file. We shall be back before you know it. Once more into the pensive, then. And Harry fell again through that silver surface, landing this time right in front of a man he recognized at once. It was a much younger Horace Slughorn. Harry was so used to him bald that he found the sight of Slughorn with thick, shiny, straw-colored hair quite disconcerting. It looked as though he had had his head thatched, though there was already a shiny, galleon-sized bald patch on his crown. His mustache, less massive than it was these days, was gingery blonde. He was not quite as rotund as the slughorn that Harry knew, though the golden buttons on his richly embroidered waistcoat, excuse me, richly embroidered waistcoat, were taking a fair amount of strain. His little feet rested comfortably upon a, upon a velvet poof. He was sitting back in a comfortable winged armchair, one hand grasping a small glass of wine, the other searching through a box of crystallized pineapple. Harry looked around as Dumbledore appeared beside him and saw what they were standing in. Harry looked around as Dumbledore appeared beside him and saw that they were standing in Slughorn's office. Half a dozen boys were sitting around Slughorn, all on harder or lower seats than his, all in their mid-teens. Harry recognized Voldemort at once. This was the most handsome face, and he recognized, and he looked the most relaxed of all the boys. His right hand lay negligently upon the arm of his chair. With a jolt, Harry saw that he was wearing Marvolo's gold and black ring. He had already killed his father. Sir, is it true that Professor Merrythought is retiring? He asked. 
Tom, Tom, if I knew I couldn't tell you, said Slughorn, wagging a reproving sugar-covered finger at Riddle, though ruining the effect slightly by winking. I must say I would like to know where you get your information, boy, the more knowledgeable than half the staff you are. Riddle smiled. The other boys laughed and cast him admiring looks. What with your uncanny ability to know things that you shouldn't, and your careful flattery of the people who matter. Thank you for the pineapple, by the way. You are quite right. It is my favorite. As several of the boys tittered, something very odd happened. The whole room was suddenly filled with a thick white fog so that Harry could see nothing but the face of Dumbledore, who was standing beside him. Then Slughorn's voice rang out through the mist, unnaturally loudly. You'll go wrong, my boy. Mark my words. The fog cleared as suddenly as it had appeared, and yet nobody made any allusion to it. Nor did anybody look as though anything unusual had just happened. Bewildered, Harry looked around. As a small golden clock standing upon Slug... Oh boy. Standing upon Slughorn's desk chimed eleven o'clock. Thanks, Leafy Toes. Good gracious, is it that time already? said Slughorn. You better be going, boys, or we're gonna get in trouble. Lestrange, I want your essay by tomorrow, or it is detention. Same goes for you, Avery. Slughorn pulled himself out of his armchair and carried his empty glass over to his desk as the boys filed out. Voldemort, however, stayed behind. Harry could tell he dawdled deliberately, wanting to stay in the room and be the last with Slughorn. Look sharp, Tom, said Slughorn, turning around and finding him still present. You don't want to be caught out of bed after hours, and you a prefect. Sir, I wanted to ask you something. Ask away, then, my boy, ask away. Sir, I wanted... I wondered what you know about... about Horcruxes. And it happened all over again. The dense fog filled the room so that Harry could not see Slughorn or Voldemort at all, only Dumbledore smiling serenely beside him. Then Slughorn's voice boomed out again, just as it had before. I don't know anything about Horcruxes, and I wouldn't tell you if I did. Now get out of here at once! Don't let me catch you mentioning them again! Well, that's that, said Dumbledore placidly beside Harry. Time to go. And Harry's feet left the floor to fall seconds later back into the rug, back onto the rug in front of Dumbledore's desk. That's all there is, said Harry blankly. Dumbledore had said that this was the most important memory of all, but he couldn't see what was so significant about it. Admittedly, the fog, and the fact that nobody seemed to have noticed it, was odd. But other than that, nobody seemed to have... Excuse me? But other than that, nothing seemed to have happened, except that Voldemort had asked a question and failed to get an answer. As you may have noticed, said Dumbledore, reseating himself behind his desk, that memory has been tampered with tampered with? repeated Harry, sitting back down again. Certainly, said Dumbledore. Professor Slughorn has meddled with his own recollections. But why would he do that? 
"'because I think he is ashamed of what he remembers,' said Dumbledore. "'He has tried to rework the memory to show himself in a better light, "'obliterating those parts which he does not wish me to see. "'It is, as you will have noticed, very crudely done, "'and that is all to the good, for it shows that the true memory is still there, "'behind the alterations. "'And so, for the first time, I am giving you homework, Harry. It will be your job to persuade Professor Slughorn to divulge the real memory, which will undoubtedly be our most crucial piece of information of all. Harry stared at him. Surely, sir, he said, keeping his voice as respectful as possible, you don't need me. You could use legitimacy or veriticerum. Professor Slughorn is an extremely able wizard who will be expecting both, said Dumbledore. He is much more accomplished at he is much more accomplished at occlumency than poor Morfin Gaunt, and I would be astonished if he did not carry an antidote to veriticerum with him ever since I coerced him into giving me this travesty of a recollection. Though I think it would be foolish to attempt to wrest the truth from Professor Slughorn by force, and might do much more harm than good. I do not wish him to leave Hogwarts. However, he has his weaknesses like the rest of us, and I believe that you are the one person who might be able to penetrate his defences. It is most important that we secure the true memory, Harry. How important? We will only know once we have seen the real thing. So, good luck, and good night. A little taken aback by this abrupt dismissal, Harry got to his feet quickly. Good night, sir. As he closed the study door behind him, he distinctly heard Phineas Nigelis say, I don't see why the boy should be able to do it better than you, Dumbledore. I wouldn't expect you to, Phineas, replied Dumbledore, and Fox gave another low, musical cry. And that is the end of our chapter. Don't forget, folks, check out the new wiki. That's right, we've got a wiki. Um, it is mostly Dungeon World stuff right now, but I will be adding on to uh, it for other things, some of the other things that we do here. Sidecarstories.fandom.com. I'm going to put that in the uh, in the chat as well. Let's see. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's uh, little lesson, tonight's little Dumbledore lesson. Um, I had a great time. And of course, we've got beans coming up. Not only that, but we've got extra beans. We have extra beans, and I think we can thank Twitter if I remember correctly. I'll have to check who put the actual... Uh, where the actual hashtag came in on. But I'll be looking for that in just a moment. I'm going to have to go fetch my assistant. Um, for those of you who are watching right now on the YouTube premiere, this is last week's episode, which means that if you go right now over to Mixer or Discord, you can find the coming chapters. So chapters, uh, what, 18 and 19, live Mixer Discord. You can find the links in the description. Head over there now. For those of you who are here with me right now on Mixer, on Discord, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Il Tortoise says, great reading. Thank you so much. Uh, tested stream expressing regret that it's over already. I know it's sad for me too. Um, although I will say, you know, I, I would love to do 
more of this and at some point you know if i can if i can make the numbers make sense i would love love to do more streaming um but uh, i will say doing significantly longer streams i don't know if my voice can keep up with it i'm actually considering um because my because um dungeon world and harry potter are the two streams in my week that occupy the most time they're the most time consuming to prepare uh, i'm wondering if we might want to kind of reschedule them around i think i do think that harry potter's in a good spot but i'm wondering if um and we'll talk about this again later we're not making any decisions right now um but i just want to float it with y'all um if we maybe moved dungeon world to wednesdays at one o'clock so same time of day just a different day um and then uh bumped the maybe sidecar gaming stuff later in that day i don't know we shall see um, or maybe maybe we would just switch. Maybe that would work. Maybe we would just switch the two. Do uh, um, side do uh, uh, Dungeon World on Wednesdays at one instead of Thursdays at one, and then do uh, the gaming stuff on Thursdays instead of Wednesdays. So just swap the two. So folks, let me know what you think. Um, again, I think uh, unless it's really difficult, I would say Harry Potter is going to stay where it's at. Um, but like I said, go ahead and check out the wiki. It's got uh, great ways for you to kind of catch up. It's got summaries of, of little little blurb summaries of all the episodes leading up to where we're at so far. Today was chapter nine of Chat Plays Dungeon World. And um, uh, I believe next week we are starting. Uh, today we had a, a, a street fight with a bunch of goblin gang, uh, a big goblin gang that the party has been uh, having to deal with for a while. Um, and then we believe, uh, I believe we start next week at the gala, the gala in the gardens. That's right. It's going to be good. It's going to be a really good time. I love that project. I really love doing that. And uh, for those of you who join me frequently there, Tuna, um, uh, Sander, Henny, Luis, thank you so much. I appreciate it a lot. <laughs> I hope you all are having a good one. I am going to go grab my, uh, my lovely assistant. So I will be right back. Just a moment. In the drawer. So, uh, by the way, um, you may have noticed uh, I have a, a handful of my old journals on the bed. It might, I, I think you'll like this story. Um, typically they live right there, but as I was prepping earlier today, um, like five minutes before my earlier stream, took a big old glug of water. The first tiny bit went down the wrong pipe and I had to cough, I had to cough. And so I did a big old spit of all my water all over the floor down here and I got the corner of those wet and so I had to take them out to dry. Why'd you do that? It just went down the wrong, down the wrong pipe. Oh, which reminds me, I need more water. I'll be right back. Oh. My, my As you can see, Grandpa Sam. I like Grandpa Sam.
looks even older than I remember. Hmm? Grandpa Sam. Mm-hmm. Looks even older than I remember. Yeah, folks, don't... It just did it again a little bit. <laughs> it's because you're trying to talk while you're drinking. Mm-hmm. It'll never stop. You can't make me. Um... Yeah, don't forget, folks. Uh, Tuna has the uh, that very, very good slash bad slash terrible slash great uh, musical theater villain picture of me in the Discord right now. Uh, if you're on Mixer, you can find that description, or on YouTube, you can find it in the uh, the link in the description box. All right, folks, let's do beans. We have an extra bean today from. Uh, tell you what, I'll I'll look it up as I'm chewing on the the first one. First of all. Every, and once again, we're taking a look at our schedule, we might just, you know, like I said, it's possible we might just switch the, the game stuff and the uh, Dungeon World stuff. You may, you may proceed uh, whenever you wish. Um, but for right now, every Wednesday, um, uh, ah, Sidecar Gaming, we are working through um, Disco Elysium. It's a fantastic uh, sci-fi game with some really, really good art. I don't... Let's see. Hmm. Hmm. Not bad at all. It's either um, birthday cake or marshmallow. Very vanilla-y. It's nice to start out with a good one. Um, I think just in terms of percentages, it's more likely to be birthday cake because I think we ran out of most of the the schmallow ones. So I'm going to go birthday cake. Uh, yeet. Yeet. <laughs> it's a pretty good one overall. Um. All right. I also didn't do any of the thing that I said I was going to do, did there I? There are three schmallow ones and three birthday cake ones left. Colored ones. I see. <laughs> so I one out of one. Are they both from the same batch? I thought they were. I thought the the marshmallow ones were from an older batch. Oh, well, I got it regardless. Nailed it. Um, okay, here it is. Got that pulled up. We're all good. Um, next up, chat plays Dungeon World again, folks. I can't tell you how excited I am about this project. It is the most fun thing that I am doing with the channel right now. Um, I love tabletop RPGs. I am. I'm a decent DM, right? Yeah. <laughs> I've taught a couple of uh, workshops on it, um, online and in person. Uh, I love doing it. I've learned a ton about it. <laughs> She's wearing my flip-flops, and they look like big old uh, uh, diving flippers. Um, but uh, I would really encourage you to check that out. Again, if you want to catch up quickly, you can head over to the new wiki. Uh, Sander, thank you very much for helping me set that up. Um, uh, Sidecarstories.fandom.com. I don't... Mm. Very fruity. Very fruity, and there's like a tiny little bit of black pepper in there. That part I, I doubt is intentional. Um, although, uh, Alton Brown has a recipe for a... Uh, uh, what are they called? Refrigerator? Icebox cake? Icebox cake. Um, that uses whipped cream, sliced strawberries, graham crackers, and black pepper. A little bit of black pepper on every layer. Apparently gives it a nice little bait. Nice little bite. She's not a fan. Um, there's absolutely no banana. That's very good. Congratulations. 
One thing. This is not a banana jelly bean. In this world, I am sure of very few things, but there is no banana. I think I'm gonna go. It's not strawberry. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh! Should have, should have held off on that fourth shot of gravy. Um, what is the other? There's another fruit one. It's, uh, I really want to say apricot. Is an apricot? It's peach. It's peach. This is a peach one. Final answer. Yes. That's right, folks. That's two out of two. Get on my level. All right. Try bean. Of course, as you all know, every Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific time, we are here for Harry Potter. And Harry Potter's here for us. <laughs> Ow. It's really bad. It's super bad. I'm getting that smoking. Mmm. Oh, it's a bad one. <laughs> oh, boy. Hold on. What was that? I pushed my mic away and she stepped away. What was that that you just I did right know. now? It's like you're trying to get the smell away from them. I don't know why. This is a 4D experience here at Sidecar Story. Dog, I should have a good one. Hmm. Hmm. Put this on my resume. That's not the first time I've been told that. It's very bad. At first, I thought I was getting a little bit of that smoke, like the stink bug one. But I got a lot of the hork. There's a lot of hork, which, of course, for those of you who have uh, been around long enough for our tasting notes, um, our terms of art, hork indeed, Shotzi. <laughs> um, hmm. It's bad, but it's not vomit bad, I don't think. Ah, it's pretty acidic. I'm going to go... I think I'm going to go... Shoot, it's not sweet enough to be spoiled milk. I'm going to go rotten egg, I think. Final answer. It's bark. Is it, is it vomit? Yeah. Mm. Which is the same color as the peach one, and I was really hoping it was going to be bark. Because they gave you the same two in a row. Yeah, when the first one turned out to be a good one, I assume you Actually, hunted well, through to find a vomit one, bean? It was the one that has the most in here. Um, Actually, I think it would have been... Don't want to hear that. If they were both peach, and you couldn't get... Get it twice. And I get it wrong. <laughs> um, they, there is a surprising variance in flavor. Maybe it's just because I'm paying way too much attention to these birdie bots every flavor beans, but a lot of variation. Two out of three. That's all right. Sort of an oaky after hork. <laughs> it was tuna. <laughs> um, okay. That's Thursdays. Uh, Friday, of course, at 1 p.m. Pacific time, we have got our... Um, our post session, it is our spout lore session. It is not a stream, it is just a Discord meetup, although in the future, uh, if I had the time and, like I said before, then if the numbers make sense, I would love to make it into a stream so we could do like a whole shopping session or whatever. But um, that is on uh, Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, we will meet in the Discord and uh, talk about our post session stuff for Dungeon World. Ow. Ugh. This sucks. It's been a bad day for these beans. I don't know you if I'm just more sensitive ones. to it. What are you talking about? I did. I just mean like 
they're more powerful than usual. I, I, it, I almost wonder if it must be me. Like if there's something that I do during my day or something that I eat that makes them more or less powerful. Because they've all been, even the, even the good ones have been really strong. It's 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 the bad like grass and salt. It's definitely a booger. It's a booger. Yeah. You haven't gotten any of the pear ones. Ugh. I keep giving it to you. I think it'll be pear because you only ever remember that there's peach and banana. You can only pick your numbers. Peach and banana, strawberry. Yeah, those are the only ones I remember for sure. I don't have any asterisks this time though. True. That's kind of nice. This might be my first my first. And Michaela, don't you arbitrarily put an asterisk on there? I, I swear to heaven. Put three asterisks slash asterisks asterisks four asterisks slash. Oh, Liberty says. Um, Liberty's bringing up the possibility that I could become a Birdie Bot's every bean every flavor bean taste tester to improve their flavor notes and their precision. And that would be the worst backfiring of this project ever. You have to keep tasting the bad ones. Yeah. This is not quite boogery. This is this isn't boogery enough. enough. More grass, not boogery enough. All right, all right. I don't know this one. This is the last time I'll say it tonight. I promise. Go check out the new wiki. Sidecarstories.fandom.com. Um, right now, it's loaded up with Dungeon World stuff, but I am, I think, most proud of this um, fantasy setting compared to any of the homebrew settings I've done in the past. It is really an incredible time, and uh, we've just we invented a new sport today, which has been a lot of fun. Are you just looking at that old man picture? Oh, yeah, the CW's bean tester. Tuna knows how to cut me deep. All right, um. Mm okay. This one is definitely fruitsome. But one of the bad ones, I think it's like stinky sock or rotten milk is fruitsome too. Hmm. All the tastes are confused now. I can't tell the difference between banana and stinky sock. This sucks. Um, okay. I don't think this is supposed to be a good bean. I don't taste the bitterness of the dish soap. I'd never imagined myself ever doing this sort of thing. This is the... I, I, I'm not picking up... Mm. No registry of the bitterness of dish soap. Oh, no, I don't think so. Instead of a... Smallier, you're like a small beanie. Small, small bean. Small bean. <laughs> I'm a small bean. Um, I'm gonna go with it's either it's either spoiled milk or stinky sock. The spoiled milk has some hork in it, so I'm gonna go with the sock one. That's it's my final answer. Yeah. Yep. Yes. That's good because I was not sure about this one. All right, sounds good. And, uh, folks, this week's Extra Bean is brought to you by Kimberly Hoffman. Um, that's right, folks. Um, Kimberly Hoffman, uh, at Spider Author on Twitter. Thank you very much for spreading the word about the show. Uh, and y'all can thank Spider Author on Twitter 
for this extra bean. Let's do this thing. Don't forget, folks, if you share this show with the hashtag HPOutloud, that's extra beans. That's extra beans in the pot. Out. Uh, what's going on here? All right, here we go. Out. It's a bad one. Oh my god! I'm telling you, what makes him so strong on a particular day? Oh my god! It's a salad. It's because you spit water all over your stuff. That's what it is? Do you think that's what does it? This is gonna... I have to swallow this later. That's gonna suck. (laughs) And it's your last bean, too. Oh! Oh, my eyes are watering. That one got... That one got to me quick. This one, um... Oh, it's rotten egg for sure. That's my final answer. Which we don't even popcorn ones either. We don't even get to share the suspense of like, oh, is he gonna get it? Isn't he? I know what it is. It just sucks. Oh, crikey! We're here for the torture. Oh, I have to swallow this, and I'm telling you, folks, if you're new to this. When it hits the back of the tongue is when it's the very, very worst. There's so much hork to this. I'm, this this one is twice as bad as the vomit bean that we had before. It's so bad. Oh. Yeah, but now you're just like sitting with stuck all up in my teeth. If I don't if I don't chew on it a while and let it go back slowly, taking it all at once will be very bad. Do it. No, I'm not gonna do it. I can't spit it up either. That's. I mean, that, if you puke. Sure. If I, it's, it's not close enough. I'm not gonna make it. Ah. Uh, misery. This is such a stupid tradition. <laughs> you did this. And scene. I got it back. It actually wasn't as bad going, going down the hatch as I thought it was going to be, but. Come for the voices, stay for the beans, says McQuaykway. Folks, it's been a long stream. Thank you very much for watching. Thank you for listening. I really, really enjoy y'all being here. Um, check out the wiki, check out the Discord. Um, I promise I, did, I wouldn't say the name again. Um, I'm also a horrible liar. The uh, uh, I really appreciate you all being here. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Uh, and for all the the uh, new faces in, I'm definitely not going to be able to remember them all. I'm sorry, but uh, um, thank you so much for for joining in. Thanks for giving the the program a try, and thank you for joining us in our discussions. Uh, speaking of discussions, I am going to be in the Discord um, once I get my my streaming setup here broken down for a little while afterward, and we can we can do some chatting. What's our topic for the day going to be? What are we talking about in the Discord afterward? So I'm going to ask the question now, and then I'm not going to read anything. We'll go straight to Discord, and we'll talk about it there. Let's talk about... Let's talk about the fate of Morphin versus the fate of Tom Riddle. Tom Riddle Jr., the one who would become Voldemort. Both coming from uh, from bad parenting situations, both of them uh, trying to make their way in the world. 
both of them making terrible, terrible choices. We'll be discussing the fate of those two later on in the Discord. Folks, thank you so much for being here with me tonight. Uh, tested Shotzi, Liberty. I'm not going to be able to get all the way up this list. Uh, <laughs> uh, Soft Creature, Rachel, McQuaquay, Luis, all of y'all, Leafy Toes. Um, and uh, folks in the Discord as well, Seth, Shotzi, Luis, thank you for being here. Tanisha, good night, folks. Bye bye. <laughs>